Welcome to The Other Money Show, the show where we blend wine and personal finance responsibly most of the time. I'm your host, Ian Weiner, and today I'm joined by Eric Scruggs. He's a certified financial planner and enrolled agent, and he just launched Hark Financial. Now, his specialty is serving big law attorneys and their families and helping them allocate their assets and their time and their energy appropriately. He has deep experience in this, and he understands it because his wife is a big law attorney. And so we talk wine, we talk financial planning for attorneys, we talk about allocating your resources and your wine efficiently. You're going to hear about how Eric found himself at the Wine Hotel, which is now like at the top of my list of wine experiences, and the hike is the top of my list for wine experiences that I'm planning. I think you're going to love this episode. We're going to jump right in with Eric Scruggs. It's, uh, it's, a, dangerous, it's a dangerous hobby. It's, it's true. But, you know, there's a lot of other dangerous hobbies as well. Yeah. So at least this one, there's uh, quite a bit of beauty involved, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're, if, if you, I mean, my wife and I, before our son was born, I mean, we planned all of our travel around wine. Usually there's, it's a beautiful places with great food, good people. Like, what's not to like? Yeah. I mean, it just, it kind of makes sense. I don't want to over overthink it you know it's uh it's interesting and how old is your son remind me uh he's 19 months okay coming up on coming up on two that is a fun uh that is a fun age it's been it's been good too this is like the the best phase so far uh, he's got personality you know uh but not too much personality like he's still big enough you can pick him up and be like okay we're gonna go do this now yeah but he can tell you what he wants what he doesn't want like so you know it's easier to keep happy and he's got a great laugh. Um, although the high pitch squealing has entered a new, a new era. Yeah. That's a, that's one that it, it just, it surfaces all the time and there's not much you can, you can do about that. And then that, that y'all's first. Yeah. Yeah. That's I don't know how you have more than one kid right now. I, 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 oh man. Well, see what happens little. is they trick you with the first one. That's that's really what happens because the first one is great, like they're easy, you know, all around. And then the second one, the second one is what gets you. Uh, well, so I'm the youngest of two. My wife's the youngest of three. So we're we we're like, oh, we should have more than one because we are we are the young ones. Like if the youngest was never born, yeah. Well, the other part of us is like, well, I'm pretty happy at one. I could just we can be good here. Yeah, it's like, you know, year, year two to three is where it really starts getting tempting. You're like, oh, they're kind of like sleeping through the night and they're like cute, you know, like, oh, it's not so bad. I love that you guys are both the youngest. That's fun. My wife is and I are both the oldest. So interesting <laughs> dynamic there. An entirely different perspective on life. Yeah, so my wife's an attorney at a large law firm. Um, okay. so she went to Georgetown Law School, friends who are attorneys. Um, so it's sort of our social social group. Um, and then a, a firm I used to work at, um, called Shepard Kaplan Krocek, which is a Boston based independent RAA that manages about eight ish billion. Um, and so when I got there, you know, I worked with 35 or 40 families, most of whom one of one member of the family was a, was a law firm partner. So it's a life I live with a social network I'm in and who I've worked with professionally know kind of their unique challenges, um, know the unique lingo of the industry. Um, so. I don't work with a ton of attorneys, but 
sometimes they remind me of the way that uh, physicians are sometimes caricaturized when it comes to money. Like some of them are like exceptional with it and others like it just disappears from the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've had, I have clients, I've had clients who make north of 6 million a year, 8 million, 10 million a year and are saving next to nothing, but you can't pinpoint where it's going. Uh, And I've had clients making, you know, $300,000 $300,000 a year who are somehow saving 200, you know, like not actually that much, but a lot. So, you know, it, it can vary wildly. I mean, it's, it's amazing what you, you can find a way to spend $6 million a year. Um, especially if you're in it, um, you know, like one of the challenges that the like law firm life presents, particularly at large law firms, there's a lot of folks, particularly who are couples, they're, they're both partners at large law firms. Right? They met in law school, they got married, Maybe they're at different law firms, whatever, but to sustain that kind of lifestyle, you make a lot of, you have to make a lot of choices um, about your time and you outsource everything that you can for understandable reasons, right? But you're working a ton. I mean, my wife, you know, these big law folks are expected to bill bill 2,000 to 2,500 hours a year. That's a lot you're billing maybe 80% of your working hours, right? Um, And depending on the firm, some things you do may not count towards that, right? Your pro bono work, the work you do internally for the firm at committees or mentoring or coaching other, you know, younger associates, business development, those sorts of things. So you're working a ton. So you outsource a lot, which means you can spend a lot to outsource, right? Outsourcing childcare, you know, uh, have a, a former client with three separate nannies. I can't even, I can't even imagine. That's fascinating. It's what you have to do, right? I mean, they were both big law partners. And so they had a nanny for five days, the weekday days, five days a week, uh, a weekend nanny, and then sort of like a, an evenings slash on call if something happened to the other two nannies, nanny. So you can spend a lot of money. And plus like there's a, there's a, it can be a mentality amongst the folks that it's like, I work really hard. So when I play, we're going big. We don't, when I, I don't vacation much. I don't get out much. When I do, we're making up for all the lost time in the world, right? First class, big trip, expensive things, live it up. Which is nothing wrong with that. If you've planned on it, but yeah, let's, let's do some wine here. Yeah. Let's jump into some wine. So I think I brought the, I haven't opened mine yet. I got to let it breathe a little bit. I mean, I know it's a white, but no, you're right. And so that that's what I thought would be would be fun is like I didn't I wasn't going to tell you whether I I had opened it or not. So I have no uh this is a wine that I I haven't had, though I'm sure that I'm going to that I'm going to love it. We're we're both on the on the same one here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had dinner at this winery in Langenlois, Austria. So I need, this is, this is an important story that I, that I want to hear. I have a few questions that I want to ask as far as, you know, wine goes that I'm curious about, but I want to hear, you know, how you got there, when you went, what it was like. Cause I, after we started talking about this, I intentionally said, I'm not going to do any research on this winery or this wine at yeah. all. So I want to, I want to hear all about it. I'm amazed that you guys sell some of this. So this is not, so Comptal is, 
not the most popular region in Austria. So Gruner Wettliner is the signature wine of Austria, but Kamtal is probably the number two region. Um, and this is the number two, probably the number two winery in that region. Most places have a different wine from this region if they have anything from Kamtal. But so my wife was on a, a business trip at a law firm she worked at. It was an international sort of retreat where they got all of their offices across the globe together. And it was in Salzburg, Austria. And so we made a vacation out of it. Two weeks, Salzburg, Vienna, and then we went to Munich. And it just so happened. And this literally was coincidence. We, we planned the trip, did not realize until a, a couple weeks before the trip that our days in Munich were the first couple of days of Oktoberfest. So got to do Oktoberfest um, in Munich. But so we were looking for something to do in between Salzburg and Vienna. And I, we had hotel points. I think it was Marriott hotel points. And so I literally was like, okay, we want to do something wine related. You know, there's wine in Austria. I don't know anything about it. I went to Marriott's website and I had points. And I literally typed in the word wine and hit search. And there's a hotel in Austria called the Wine Hotel. This, this just goes to show, like, don't overcomplicate marketing. My yeah. marketing people are like, yeah, you should listen to, to your own <laughs> instruction here. Yeah. So Beautiful. it's just called the Wine Hotel. There's a name in Austrian, like, or in, you know, like, like oh, German, German, just name in German. Uh, and I don't, but it's like the, like, Lotium Wine Hotel. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything about it. Website doesn't say much. Can't really find a whole lot. But it's a Marriott web, like it's a Marriott hotel. It's like right, it's like other, you know, Marriott has tiers. It's like, it's like a nice hotel. It's got a spa. Like we have enough points, book it. I love it. Just uh, go so we it. booked it. It's in in between Salzburg and Vienna, like checking all the boxes. So we go. We have no idea what to expect. My wife Alyssa is a big researcher. She did some research. She about a couple things, but okay. We're at the Salzburg train station. All the signs are in German, obviously. We get to the train. We get on the train and we're like a little nervous that we're not in the right spot because all the maps, this train station we need to go to is not listed. So we've got three separate people on our car. Do you, do like, in our car. Children? No. Okay. And we're like, hey, are we on the right train? And they look at that and they look at the name of the, the stop and they're like, well, that's sort of this year. You're on the right train, but I don't know that we stop here. I've never heard of this stop. Okay. Good, good, <laughs> good. Yeah. It turns out we were on the right train. And we looked it up on the map and we we're like, oh, we can walk to the hotel. <sighs> Uphill, wine country, roller bags. It was a hike. Yeah. It was a hot day, like sweaty. We roll into this hotel, looking, looking like a hot mess. And we get to the front desk, and the front desk people are like, oh, hello. How, you know, how, how are you? And we enter, you know, we say hi. We're, you know, we're, we're checking in. They're like, oh, you're American. How did Americans find this hotel? Like, like they were like upset. Um, and we're like, yeah, we, you know, we're here. We found it on the Marriott website, and they're like, oh, okay. Like you could tell, basically, no one, no they one. They're kind of shocked. They're like a Marriott affiliate, you know, like they're not a Marriott brand hotel, but they're like, okay, well, like your name is in our books. Like, come on in. <laughs> it was a really lovely hotel, really nice. So first night for dinner, we go. There's like three restaurants in this town that we could find. And one of them is this. It's a tiny little restaurant, t two employees at the restaurant. And so they serve their wine, really good food. The waiter was super excited because he never gets to practice his English. 
So we practiced our German that we've been practicing for a whole two weeks. And, uh, and so we had a lovely meal, some really amazing wine. But the real like star of the weekend at this wine hotel was, uh, so <laughs> the other winery, the bigger one from, from Comptal has a bigger tasting, like an official tasting room, which you go to and they have like tickets you can buy. And my wife describes it as like wine colonial Williamsburg. You walk through this like somewhat animatronic weird experience where they describe how wine is made and grown. Like there's like, it's very, I can't it's describe like, it. It's just, that's interesting. They, they, again, there's animatronics involved. You're like in this room and it's made to sound like water's falling. It's talk about the rain, the, like how the importance of rain and the water cycle for wine. Like an ex Disney um, person designed it or something. Yeah. So like they have a bunch of art and sculptures, which are interesting. And you get to the end and they're like, Oh, by the way, like we offer this wine hike. Okay. Can you tell us about the wine hike? What's a hike for wine? And the, everyone's English is not great. Like, again, yeah. there's not a lot of Americans come to this town, I guess, um, at the time anyways. And um, so we're like, let's book it. We'll do it. We'll do it tomorrow. It's our last day in town. We have a whole day. I love we'll it. Just go for it. But I don't know how long this hike is. Is it 5K? Is it a 10K, 1K? What kind of hike are we into? We don't know. It's through the, all we know is it's through the vineyards. Okay. So we, we book it the next day. We show up. We're like, here for the wine hike. Expecting like a guided hike. No, no. Here's a map and and a locker key. And you're like, okay, I don't know what I don't know. What, and they said, her English wasn't good enough to explain what's happening. She said there'll be stops along the way, and you'll see them. And you stop there, and you have one. Okay, we go, go hiking. And there's like these like sculpt. They have more of these weird sculptures again about meant to symbolize different parts of of uh, of grape growing and winemaking. Mm -hmm. These like sort of modern art sculptures and these elevated platforms for you to see the sculptures and then see the vineyards. It's very beautiful. The picture I posted on Twitter the other day is from one of those elevated platforms. So we get to the first like mm. wine tasting stop and we were expecting like, oh, like there's an employee here. He's going to talk to us about the wine or something, right? That's what would happen at like in Napa or like any other wine region, right? No, no. Yeah. There's just a white cooler with a padlock on it. You open the white cooler and half the cooler's full of water and half the cooler's just full of bottles of wine. That sounds like the perfect <laughs> And so you just like start with the sparkling wine and you're like, okay, open it up, sit there, have some wine. You're like, I don't, the map doesn't tell you how many stops there are. So you don't know how much wine you're about to have. Uh, <laughs> and, but it's like, okay, well, you know, the champagne was half bottles and you're like, okay, well, like we'll split a half bottle. And we, they give you backpacks. And I was like, well, no one's here. I'm going to put one in my backpack. And then we just okay. kept walking, like locked it up, walked to the next one. Exact same thing. White cooler. This time, full-size bottles. Uh. So the hike itself, I think, was under 2K, like, in distance. And I think there were four stops. Um, so sparkling, a Gruner, a Rosé, and a Red. And uh, so we, we, we spent like four and a half hours on this hike. Sounds my backpack was full of unopened bottles of wine. My wife's backpack was full of the opened bottles of wine we hadn't finished that day. We're on this hike for almost five hours. We saw one other human being and it was a guy on a tractor tending to the, the vines. So it's just, it's amazing. Like one of the best wine experiences we've ever had. You're just like in the, 
in the grapes, like wandering around totally unsupervised in the grapes of this winery with basically unlimited wine, meandering about finding random sculptures. Incredible. Man, but like totally that's weird. That's on my list now. That is that yeah, is on the, the restaurant at the hotel, the, the the wine hotel was very good as well. The food we had at, at, in the town uh, in Lane Lois was very good. Uh, but this is a great, like super weird, had no expectations experience. I think that's one of the fun things about like some things like this, like that you plan. You're like, yeah. I have literally no expectations for what's going to happen today in this podcast. I had no expectations for what was going to happen on a wine hike going to the wine hotel. Um, and you're like, this is awesome. This is great. I think that's one of the best ways to, to enjoy wine though. And one of the things that I love about it so much is that, you know, two, two different people could, we could be sharing a bottle of wine, which we are virtually, uh, and have totally different experiences, totally different experience with wine. And we can make it as simple or as complex as we want and can have a great time with it. Yeah. It's yeah. just open. Like, There's no rules. My, yeah. My mom who like enjoys wine, but doesn't have like a crazy sophisticated palate. So we opened this, uh, my mom's in town from Texas um, for Easter weekend. I opened our research mm -hmm. bottles, just me, my wife, and my mom. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, everybody, like, let's get some descriptors out. And, uh, you know, my mom's were, you know, good, but not like super elevated. Alyssa's were like, boom, the minerality, the, the, this, 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 let's talk about the color. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about the finish. Let's talk about, but there's no wrong, right? Like, is you, are you enjoying it? If you're not enjoying it, that's okay too. We can open a different bottle of wine if you're not enjoying it. But if you're enjoying it, it's all that matters. I love it. That's when I do when I do tastings and stuff, and I'm and I'm starting to do more of them, which I enjoy. That is my uh, my tasting process that I teach everyone. I believe it's the most scientifically advanced and uh, just helpful process. What you do is you drink the wine and then you decide whether or not you like it. And if you want to do anything else after that, you can. But that's that's what matters. That's the primary that's, goal here. That's it. Do you like it? And then do you like it enough at the price point? Right? It's, it's a, a, a two-step process. And would you, uh, would you, do you love it? Do, would you share it? Or is, is it one that you would just keep for yourself or you wouldn't buy again? Yeah, yeah. You like it in tasting, but, but wouldn't buy again. So many options. Yeah. How did you find, find your way into wine? You know... It just kind of happened to me a little bit. I need to do a little bit more research um, on our uh, some of our, our family history and ancestry. So one of the things that's so interesting, my, my last name, Weiner, is, you know, German. And it means yeah. winemaker, wine merchant. So it's yeah. pretty, pretty straightforward there. And so but we don't know who it is, at least at least I don't at this point. Um, and so probably, interestingly enough, someone from a region probably similar to this one. I mean, it very well could be um, outside of Vienna. That's a pretty common common area. So I'm hoping it's somewhere there or maybe, you know, in the Rheinhessen or something because I've just yeah. fallen in love with these, these German-Austrian wines. Um, but, you know, really didn't have a lot of wine even um, growing up. My dad would drink a little bit of, of red, you know, but it wasn't a huge wasn't a huge thing. And, uh, really uh, about five years ago, I had a buddy who was in the, in the restaurant and wine industry. And he was like, yeah, do you like wine? Eh, kind of. Okay. Well, let's go to this little wine, wine bar in uh, Kansas city and just try a few things. And I had a bottle that I don't know to this day what it was, 
we we lost the picture of it. I think it was something from from uh, from uh, from Beaujolais, maybe, or from the Rhone. It was southern yeah. France, and that's all I know. And it just completely opened my my eyes to, oh, this is this is art. This is science. There's just mystery here. So just and I'm really just getting started. I think yeah. personally. Um, but so, what about you? What, what, that was this yours. Is literally the first bottle of wine that my wife and I ever liked together. Mm. Um, obviously we've kept it. It's a 2008 Pinot Gris from Virginia. Mm. Um, and like, since we had this bottle and it's like, you know, uh, Jefferson Vineyards is good. Uh, I, you, you asked if I would go back and like, if I could share a bottle of wine with a person, I want to share this bottle of wine in its peak with my wife. I want to know it's killing me to know if I would still like this wine. And if it would mean like so much of it is just like in that moment, like, you know, like my wife, my now wife and I, at the time we were just dating we were in college or just graduated from college. And like, I remember very vividly, like, it was a super beautiful day in the Virginia mountains. Like hmm. it's kind of hot. So this like nice crisp white with, there's this thing called the Virginia cheese ball, which is local cheese store sells. And it's sold at like all the wineries around there. Like we were eating that and it was like an amazing day. And like, we had gone to a couple other wineries and we couldn't agree on anything that we liked until we had this. This was the first bottle of wine we ever bought. And little did we know that we'd now have like, I don't know, a hundred, hundred bottle wine cellar, which isn't very big, but way bigger than I would have ever thought. And just invested in a fancy wine fridge with humidity control. Mm. Yeah, I'm we, just, there. We, we realized we had some really nice bottles of wine that we were going to basically get corked if we didn't stop just throwing them in our basement. <laughs> it's part of the it's part of the progression, though. But I, I want to go back to that experience for, for y'all because that's something that I love about wine and that I want to talk about. On, on this, you know, little show over time, because it, it's something that I find entirely beautiful and fascinating and challenging all, all at once is that the bottle of wine, you know, they're pretty consistent nowadays from one bottle to the next for most of them, but your perception of it can be wildly different based on your company, based on the experience, what else is happening. Yeah. And I think that to me is something that I love about it so much. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a memory trapped in the, in the bottle Yeah, that could be wonderful or could be not depending on how the night goes. Yeah. Wine is also amazing because it, it can be consistent, but it also, right. A bottle of wine evolves over time, mm -hmm. right? Like they tell you at like the nicer wineries, Alyssa and I were just in Napa for our 10th wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. And thank you. And, uh, you know, like the recommendation at every winery for any wine that can age at all. They're like, oh, you buy three. You buy one and you drink it in the next year or two. You lay lay the other two down. You drink the next one in like five years and the other one in 10. And ideally, you like keep notes and you talk, you think about how the wine evolved over that decade. I don't have that kind of, I'm not good at that kind of patience. And I refused, I'm not good at note taking for wine. <laughs> um, that's all right, though. You know, uh, also, I don't know. So what, here, what would you rather? So if you have, you have a wine budget, right? You're, you're yeah. in Napa. Your choices are 
buy three of the same bottle of wine and, and experience the evolution or buy three different bottles of wine that you're, you enjoy, but you know you'll enjoy them in different ways or in different times and different moments. Alyssa and I always tend to go for, we'll buy three different bottles of wine. What do you, where are you at? I, I love, I try to do a little bit of both. And I know that's kind of maybe a dismissive uh, answer there, you know, but my, my journey in really appreciating wine uh, has really accelerated over the last few months. Um, you know, and because I'm tasting so much wine that it's, I'm starting to be able to tell what's a, what's a good wine and what's really not a good wine separate from what I enjoy. And so up until recently, you know, I would buy, if there was, if there was wine that I liked, I would buy a fair bit of it because I, I knew that I liked it and I did want to see it develop over time. Uh, but now I really lean more towards what you're, what you guys tend to do which is try more things and have more experiences and yeah. try other ones. It's such a fun, uh, you know, thinking like an economist, really. It's like, it's such a fun challenge here because there really is, I think for a lot of people, some diminishing utility having the same wine every single time, yeah. but also you can only have so much wine and physically. I mean, even yeah. if you are really aggressive, you can only have so much wine. I mean, I, I taste 10 wines in a row and my palate is just shot. Garbage. Yeah. I mean, it's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you can only have so much wine in a sitting. Right. And it's like, uh, so we used to live in the DC area and there's a wine school there, mm. um, run by like the only master of wine on the East coast. Mm. Um, he runs like the Vir Virginia governor's cup wine competition and this wine school. It's weird. It's above this like sketchy looking liquor store next to it. Like it's like sketchy liquor store, second floor dance school third floor this wine thing and you're like okay you walk into the wine room and it's folding tables and all this stuff but then you notice like the wine glasses are all like the really nice rydell you know like like 90 dollars uh, like a, a, a glass yeah uh you know like this guy's very serious he talks a lot about like after five or six if you're tasting them which most of us need to like he can just go like and tell you a lot about it he doesn't need to taste yeah. Whereas like my nose isn't that good. My wife's side side story and my side story. We were in a wine tasting competition mm. at a wine bar here in Boston. And my wife went 10 for 10. She was pregnant. She had nothing to drink just with her nose. She went 10 for 10. That That's incredible and kind of challenging to me. Yeah. It was, How does was, she, so is she more, uh, is she more disciplined in her approach to tasting than you are? What do you attribute it to besides the fact that she's just maybe a, a super taster? Well, I mean, she's smarter than I am. She's just better than I am in every conceivable category. Um, also, you know, like in pregnancy, your, your old factory, you know, your, your heightened old factory senses there. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, she's just got a really great nose. I love it. Um, what a gift. Mine's okay, but not on her level. But anyways, we're at this like wine school. And he talks a lot about diminishing returns, both in the your drinking and also price point. He's like, mm -hmm. look, like there is a, you know, there are good wines at almost any price point, but there's like a, there are like areas where really good wines tend to sit based on the region. And he's like, also like after maybe like $150 a bottle in a wine shop, that extra little bit of good from a hundred dollar bottle of wine to a $200, bottle, you know, to a $500 bottle, Almost no one's going to notice that difference. He's like, I, I will. So true. Yeah. But I, you won't. 
Um, and it was really neat. So the wines, the, the liquor store on the first floor knew his wine academy was up there. So he worked with them to pick their wine. And so it was all, all the wine they sold in this like kind of thing again, like sketchy looking liquor store was $40 or less. And like mm. what he described as value picks. So it's just like a killer wine selection of like wines you will have never, like, like wineries you've never heard of. And that's, you know, avoiding the big that's names, fun. but like really good yeah. California cabs that just like weren't bananas expensive or really good, you know, gruners or whatever. So it's really nice. You'd go to this wine academy and he's like, okay, well, all the wine that you had today, like it's for sale on the first floor. Some of what I think is maybe the, the well-earned bad reputation that the wine world has is that you have to spend a ton of money and you have to know everything. There's this, there's this level of pretension there that I'm an outsider and I always will be, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. But you know, my, my passion is, okay, let's make it accessible to everyone yeah. if they're interested. And it sounds like, I mean, obviously he was well ahead of me on that, but I, I love that because art is meant to be shared. And frankly, I consider wine art. And so we should share it. It's like a, a lot of people think about like Napa as like super elitist. And like, when you talk to a lot of our, like our friends, for example, like they'd rather go to Sonoma than, than Napa because Napa feels, a lot of Napa wineries feel like we don't belong. Yeah. Um, and that's not true to all Napa wineries for sure. But there are certainly Napa wineries where they lean into that. Wine is exclusive. We are exclusive. You know, it's $250 a bottle minimum, you know. Yeah. You're going to buy a case just to walk in our door. Yeah. Leave the Amex Platinum at the door and we'll, we'll let yeah. you know if we have room in the tasting. We don't put prices on our menus because if you care what the price is, you don't belong here. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, there's, and there's people that, that, that appeals to them. That's fine. And, you know, they're welcome yeah. on the show, but we also will have the wine snob show. And, you know, that yeah. one is, we, we charge a thousand dollars to come onto that show and we'll donate all, all to charity, but no, I'm yeah. just, I'm kidding. But uh, it's, it's fun. The, the value component of wine, it's fun for me to think about that and to think about investing too, because and I think we probably have a similar investment philosophy, which you know, really is that uh, most of the data suggests that in the long run, you know, the the value is in value. It's it's interesting when it comes to wine and, and these diminishing returns. You know, you can pay extra to have, you know, fancy strategies and hedge funds and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, if you're into that, fine, but it may not really matter a whole lot to you. You may, the, you may not notice the difference. And that more expensive bottle of wine, you're going to need to treat better, right? Like you can't, if you're going to lay something, if you're going to buy a really good, let's just pick on like California, like a really good California cab, you can lay that down for a while. And you can't just lay it down in your living room. You can't lay it down in your dining room or in your basement. You need consistent temperature. And tend to it. You need consistent humidity. You need the equivalent of a, you know, of a French, right, wine cellar, which is like damp-ish cold like it's consistent like in the low 50s and the temperature never changes Must and be. there's some mold growing on the wall like um like we went to um look i need you to understand that we had so much content from our conversation and i really couldn't cut any of it out except for some of my ramblings and so what we're doing is i'm cutting it into two or three episodes and so Join me on the next episode. Eric is back. He's here. He's still here. Uh, he won't seem to leave. Just kidding. 